What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Hoops Podcast. We're joined here today by Alex Golden for episode 32 of the Gifted Hoops Podcast. If I got it wrong, y'all can get your trolls off for this episode, I understand. But we're here during the NBA offseason to discuss everything Pacers basketball related. Alex, say hello to the people, man. People, hello. How are you? Uh, glad to be here for episode 32, probably the most popular number 32 in Pacer history, Dale Davis. So double-double machine, uh, really underrated player in the league, had a pretty good career. So uh, excited to talk Pacers, man. This will be a lot of fun. I am the the host and creator of a podcast called Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast. Me and my co-host, Michael Focci, we do that show probably three to four, maybe even sometimes five times a week. So we are kind of a daily podcast there for Pacer fans and we, uh, we started that back up in 2018, so we've been doing it five years now. It's been a long process, and we've grown quite a bit. And you can just tell over five years, the chemistry that you make with your co-host, it does develop and get a lot better. So I've had recently some non-basketball fans that have tuned in say, hey, I really like your show because the chemistry between you guys is just a lot of fun. So even if you're not the biggest Pacer fan, we try to have some fun conversations on there, and we talk other things besides just the Pacers. But mostly it is Pacer-centric, and then on social media, Instagram, Twitter, you can find me at Alex Golden NBA. Absolutely. All of those links will be in the description and the comments. And again, five years of doing anything consistently is very, very difficult. And Alex has done that. So big shout out to him. Yeah. And I'm happy to have you on this episode of the podcast. Um, as far as this short lived podcast, we're almost at a full year. 30 plus episodes in. Appreciate all the support that we have been getting. Make sure to tap into this podcast, Gifted Hoops, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube for the video version. We get to see me and Alex's lovely faces and expressions as we get through this episode. So where I'm going to start, right, okay. for all these teams basically, is we start at the 2022 offseason before 2023 i want to get a read on your expectations for the indiana pacers coming into the 2023 season shortly after you guys trade to have tyrese halliburton on your team yeah so we're talking after the pacers traded for tyrese that that offseason then okay so the yep. previous offseason yeah i think expectations at that point were what are they going to do with all this cap space that they have who are they going to bring in? Are they going to trade Miles Turner? Are they not going to trade Miles Turner? Are they going to go after DeAndre Ayton, which they did? And they did not get anywhere with that because the Suns matched that very quickly. DeAndre Ayton was in Indianapolis, did sign that contract. And it was a bit of an interesting dynamic because if you go back and look, Bill Duffy, who is DeAndre Ayton's uh, agent, also was Miles Turner's agent. And so it was kind of a hard spot for Bill Duffy and his team to be in because you've got one client looking for a max deal and then you also have another client who's already on the team that would be entering his final year but things worked out for both squads i would say you know the the suns end up getting deandre Eaton on a much cheaper max deal than what he had previously wanted and the pacers got miles turner back and they worked out a great deal with miles because miles had one of those years last year where he really just stepped up and took on that role of being the center for the team because for the longest time the pacers had DeMontis Sabonis and Miles Turner together and they were trying to pigeonhole them in at the four and play one at the four and one at the five and it just wasn't a good fit because they were both true centers so that was kind of the dynamic there you drafted Benedict Matherin that that year and you also got Andrew Nimhart I don't think anybody had expectations for what Nimhart could become in the 2022-2023 season 
thought he'd probably be a third-string point guard behind uh, Halliburton and McConnell. And then you traded Malcolm Brogdon away, and you got Aaron Neesmith and Daniel Tyson that deal with the first-round pick. So you're thinking, hmm, okay, let's see what Neesmith can become. But at this point, you don't really have a power forward. They bring Jalen Smith back on a three-year deal, uh, two years with a player option in the third year. And he was pinned at the starting power forward for this team, which that did not live up to the expectations as well because he ended up getting benched, was out of the rotation completely. Aaron Neesmith became the starting power forward. So I think when you went into the season, you didn't have a lot of expectations for great basketball. The Pacers front office come out came out and said, we're a young team, we're rebuilding, be patient with us. And they're like, expected win total, I think was around 25 wins. Previous year, they won 25 games. And so I think with them jumping up to 35 wins at the end of the season last year, a lot of people were surprised at how well they played, and they probably would have had a better record had Tyrese Halliburton not got hurt. So definitely some internal growth from that squad. Didn't really add anybody outside, so besides Neesmith, really. So it was one of those things where just had an internal growth, and the expectations were very low. I like a lot of what you said because in terms of the Pacers, they're a team that I have been eyeing for the past uh, couple of years here. The Miles Turner thing has always been a, like a, a weird thing I couldn't quite wrap my head around because for multiple years it felt like he was always going to be on the block in terms of you know being traded or not, and I always felt that the rim protection that he provides paired with Sabonis, as you said, like they're both true fives at that position, so the fit was kind of clunky. I feel like trading Sabonis to give him room to play fit well and. I remember the way he started out his season, I believe last year, he was literally like top five in like DPOY blocks. He was really showing his effort on the defensive end really well for this Pacers ball club. And, you know, to your point about expectations, after you trade for Tyrese, you see him play really, really well basketball, sure. But last season before he got hurt, this Pacers team was comfortably like a top four to top five team in the eastern conference before he gets hurt and then you know as he gets hurt a lot of things change there are a lot of losses that pile up from your perspective were you surprised with how Tyrese started out his season and how impactful he was in year two of being a pacer I wasn't surprised with Tyrese because I think that we saw flashes enough of him when he came over here after the Sabonis trade that Okay, we got our guy now. This is going to be the face of the franchise for the foreseeable future. What can we put around him? And then they, they cater to how he plays, and I think Greg Carlisle prefers that style of play. You know, just take the ball up the court, let Tyrese make decisions. Tyrese is one of the smartest passers and players in this league, and he sees the floor incredibly well. If you want to go see an incredible play, look at the end of the game against the Los Angeles Lakers when Tyrese Halliburton sees Andrew Nimhart on the far left side, makes a pass that really, I don't think a lot of people would have saw, maybe besides LeBron or Luka, someone like that, maybe a Jokic, all those great passers would have probably seen that, but not your average NBA player sees that. And I think that with Tyrese, it was one of those situations where he just came in and he just said, this is my team. We're just going to go out there and play. And it was rough. You talk about Miles Turner, like the interesting thing about him is he really wouldn't address what happened in the offseason with the media. He didn't talk about it. He went on the Woj podcast and kind of voiced his frustrations a little bit. But when the season started, he ended up stepping on a ball boy's foot at the very beginning of the first opening night game. And so he ended up being sidelined for an entire week. And people were like, what is going on with this guy? He finally gets the opportunity, can't stay healthy once again because he had been coming off an injury. And then ends up just balling out, averaging 18 points a game last year, around, I think, seven rebounds too. So 
a career year for Miles last year in terms of his statistical numbers, but it really did feel like this team was heading in the right direction. They were catching some nice breaks with teams having injuries that they were playing. But if you look at that stretch in December, they had some really nice wins. Tyrese Halliburton had a really good game against the Boston Celtics. Then they went down to Miami and Tyrese Halliburton hit a game winner to win that game. And then they also had an awesome fourth quarter, Miles and Tyrese together taking down the Clippers on New Year's Eve. And you're thinking, closing out December pretty strong. This is a team that's in the top six seeds, like you said, for the Eastern Conference. I think they were 23 and 18 at that point at the halfway point. So five games above 500. We're like, we did not expect this whatsoever. We were thinking around 23, 25 total wins for the year to have that at the halfway point. Uh, Matherin was strongly in the rookie of the year conversation as well because he really, you know, had a great start to the first couple of months. But then you think about it and Tyrese gets hurt and then other teams start getting healthier. It was one of those situations where you realize how much Tyrese holds his team together. And with Andrew Nimhard being the point guard of the starting lineup when Tyrese went out, he took over and he showed some flashes when Tyrese didn't play. But at the same time, he's just not at that level right now. And TJ McConnell, unfortunately, skill set-wise, he's just never going to be at either Nimhard or, Mc- or Halliburton's level. So long story short, you lose Halliburton for an extended me- a period of time. It stunk. It really put this team in a different spot. And I think they had to kind of readjust what they were going to do because... Had Halliburton stayed healthy, I think things could have been a little bit different at the trade deadline. But we do know that they were kind of aggressive in trying to make a bigger, splashier move. There's been speculation that they did try to go after OG and Anobi and Mikhail Bridges. But, of course, to no avail because uh, the Nets really wanted Mikhail and the Kevin Durant trade. And Toronto, they don't know what direction they're heading, it feels like. So, one of those things where I just feel like the Pacers tried, but they, you know didn't want to give up all their assets and they're sitting pretty right now because they still have all their picks they've got a a lot of young talent that accumulated over the last couple of years and whenever they're ready to make that big move they finally got those pieces in my opinion to go out there and do that so honestly it was a blessing in disguise i think to maybe have that setback with tyrese's injury don't get too far ahead of yourselves because this team really in my opinion would would have been an easy first round exit i don't think they would have been playoff ready they don't have the playoff uh, depth right now Uh, maybe this season they have more but last year they didn't and i think getting that seventh overall pick which ended up trading to get jairus walker we'll talk about that later but i think that was the better uh, option instead of trying to make the plan i agree with you i thought that this team coming in would be a team that would just spend the entire season trying to come together in terms of continuity underneath carlisle and really figure those types of things out but the way that they were good against competition before Halliburton got hurt, it really surprised me. Like I sat here watching this team and just seeing like all of the reads and choices that Halliburton would make on the court. I mean, his IQ, he's obviously one of the best and brightest NBA stars in the league, but the past, the turnovers and all those types of things, he just felt like it made steady decisions whenever he was on the floor. And it felt like the team really rallied behind him and embraced that part of him. It felt like after you saw that go down, the way that he would lift other people up and maximize um, full builds on the floor, you guys kind of lack that. But I love the name that you brought up, Andrew Nimhart. He was a player that wasn't on my radar, but trust me, as a Warriors fan, he he got on my radar very quickly. He gave us the absolute business, Steph Curry on the floor Great and all game. that. Great game. Like, he absolutely showed flash in terms of being a good three-level scorer who can get t- to the basket. And having those guards... Who can do that 
really proves value. But, you know, as you said, he's still young, so he's not quite going to be there just yet. But that's also why the Miles Turner extension makes a lot of sense to me because even if they're not going to keep him long term, he's signed to a great deal that is flippable in the future, which to me personally, it sounds like the writing could potentially be on the wall to make some type of move to help consolidate and get extra assets from a, a Miles Turner deal potentially. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so they basically did this renegotiation and extension, which is kind of a confusing thing. But because the Pacers had so much cap space last year, they were able to kind of make this contract extension like it. So what it ended up looking like was two years for $60 million. So it looks like Miles is getting $30 million over the next two years. But what they did is because they had the cap space last year, they put $19 million of that on last year's salary. So basically from February on, Miles made an extra $19 million for the season, which put him at a total of $37 million for last year's total income for what he made. So this year, I think he's around 22-21, and next year he'll be at 21-20. So it's actually a descending number, which is just crazy. So the, the, the thing was, basically, I think both the Pacers and Miles were in this front, like, okay, let's do the renegotiation extension. Miles has really been unlocked playing with Tyrese. He likes Indiana. He likes Rick Carlisle. He really feels like this is home. He's been here for eight years. He's entering his ninth season in the 2023-2024 years. So he's been here a long time. He knows what this franchise is all about. And he's, you know, been through the ups and the downs of this franchise since then. So I think Miles is just a pretty loyal guy, uh, no matter how you want to look at it. But it also allows him, like you said, it made him more tradable at this point, just because Having two years at that level is really good value for a center that's probably in the top 10 in the NBA. Yeah, I'm sure there are people that could debate it, but I think that with what he brings offensively and defensively, you're not going to find a better two-way guy that can shoot the ball at that high of a level, block shots. He just he can be a better rebounder. That'd be great. So we'll see if he can take those steps with better defense around him in, in the future. But I just think Miles really, really balled out next to Tyrese, and Tyrese really unlocked something there, and I think Carlisle's offense unlocked something. And then... You got to give credit to Miles, too. It's not just these other guys getting him more looks and more touches. It's just Miles is hurting himself and being more of a give-me-the-ball kind of guy because without Sabonis there, he is that center. When Sabonis was there, Sabonis was the fulcrum of the offense. Everything ran through him. So it was kind of Miles standing in the corner, being that floor spacer and not being really able to do anything else offensively and utilize this game. And if anybody's ever played basketball, if you're not touching the ball on offense ever, and you're gifted offensively, it's hard to give 110% on defense every time. Now, I'm not saying Miles didn't do that, but you can kind of see where the engagement might not have all the way uh, always been there. He might have been a little bit frustrated with the role that he was playing. So got to give credit there. And then you talk about Nimhard. I mean, if you listen to our podcast, you will hear us rave and, and rant about how talented we think Nimhard is because Rick Carlisle is a veteran coach. Rick Carlisle is a guy that does not play rookies very often. And if he does, he kind of has limited roles for him, like a Benedict Matherin. This is a sixth overall pick. You think, well, maybe he can start. Maybe your lottery pick from last year, Chris Duarte, will start. Nope. Andrew Nimhart starts. 31st pick in the draft. Guy that spent two years in Florida before he had two years in Gonzaga. Just balled out when he went in there. And he just was so good defensively that Carlisle said, I've got to put him in there. He's a great secondary playmaker because he can play off ball next to Tyrese because he is six foot five. He's got a good enough three-point shot that you trust the outside shooting. Rick loves having double ball handlers out there, but also allowing Tyrese not to have to guard the opposing team's best perimeter player 
it takes that pressure off Tyrese where he can kind of shoot the gaps a little bit and be more of that stealer that he is because Tyrese's on-ball defense is a work in progress. We saw on Team USA that there was moments there against Germany where he really struggled defensively, getting around screens and that kind of stuff. But you also saw where he can get his hands on, on the ball quite a bit because he's a very high IQ player. He can re, you know shoot the gaps and get those steals. But Nimar is one of those on-ball guys that's going to be really excited to take on any task that the coaching staff puts in front of him because he's just a gamer. He loves to go out there and, and muck it up, play hard-nosed ball defensively, and then go out there and give the Warriors the business on the road as a rookie. You don't see that a lot from rookies, especially second-round picks. So I, I think that the the fact that he played so well, Carlisle rewarded that, and that's what you love about a guy like Carlisle. It doesn't matter what your status is on this team. It doesn't matter what your status is in the league. Whoever gives us the best chance to win, they're going to play. And that's why I think you see so much confidence from a young rookie like a Benedict Mather and an Andrew Nimhart because they know that, hey, if I can help my team win, my coach is going to give me the opportunity, but he's going to hold me accountable. And if you're not accountable, you're not going to play. 100%. And again, like, I highly recommend every viewer go on League Pass, wherever you view basketball, find that game Nimhart had against the Warriors because watching it in real time, it's like he was playing like he'd been in the league for five or six years just looks yeah. so confident in his ability to get to the basket. And the crazy part about it is he has that capability, but as you said, he can fit in well to a system. He, he can fit in well to what Tyrese does when he has the ball in his hands. And to me, this Pacers team, they were the definition of complementary. Like, okay, we might not have the individual skills consistently to do X, Y, Z, but as a team, we understand exactly how to fit in on, on both the defense and the offensive side of the basketball. And Nemar did that well. And Miles Turner, to your credit, right? Having Sabonis start as the center where he was the the main focal point of the offense, there were a lot of plays where he would just be in the corner. Sometimes he would be checked out here or there. But now having that freedom to like be more involved in the offense, I think you saw it bleed over to his overall game more because when you get more touches and you're more involved in the offensive side of the basketball, NBA players for the most part just feel more locked in and dialed in to both sides of the game. It's not the same as saying, okay, for five straight possessions, I'm going to just stand here in the corner and provide spacing compared to... I'll do a, a pick and roll. I'll set these off-ball screens here and there. The involvement of this entire Pacers team is really what I think helped him get up and down the court consistently. And having Tyrese as a guy to like probe defenses and make the right reads to guys, finding healed in his pocket many, many times during the season, that was what defined their season, in my opinion, Alex. No, you're 100% right. And, and having the shooting around, Miles and Tyrese was huge because yeah, Miles can shoot the ball too, but Aaron Neesmith, he really struggled coming off the bench at the beginning of the season, but once he kind of got in that groove as a starter, he started knocking down shots on a, on a higher rate from the three-point line. Buddy Heald was lights out all year last year. Buddy Heald is one of the best three-point shooters in the league, and he has been for probably the last five years. So Andrew Nimhard, um, once again, he kind of evolved too as a, as a competent three-point shooter, so you couldn't leave him hanging which has left the floor so much more open for a guy like Miles because Miles is athletic enough that he can't take you off the dribble. I'm not saying he's like the most athletic guy there is, but the confidence that it gave him. And I think we had Miles on our podcast a couple of weeks ago and we were talking to him about, you know, what are your goals for the season? What do you want to, what do you want to see from yourself? He said, I think I can be a 50, 40, 90 guy. He thinks that he has what it takes to put up those high percentages. And I think that's great. 
Um, he's never really been that close in terms of the free throw shooting percentages, but last year I think he shot above 50% from the from the two from from the field. I mean, and I know he was around 38% from three, so it's not like he's too far off on those two ends. But in terms of the free throw shooting, that's going to have to get a little bit better from him. But just getting confidence. He's only 27, I think, 27 years old, so he's entering his prime right now, and this is a great opportunity for him to showcase why he's that special of a player why he's potentially an all-star guy. Um, we've yet to see him get that kind of praise nationally, but you never know. I think that defensively he's been a lot under the radar because people know him as a great rim protector, but he's never made an all-defensive second team. And I think that's kind of a, a, a surprise to a lot of people because if you think about a guy who's led the league in blocks multiple times and not making an all-defensive team, it's kind of shocking. So he's got a chip on his shoulder. He, he felt like last year he proved quite a bit to the haters. But now he's got more to prove. Prove that he can help this team get back to the playoffs and be a real serious playoff threat. Not necessarily a title threat, but, you know, make some noise in the playoffs. Put some pressure on some of these really talented teams and make them realize, hey, the Pacers aren't here to mess around. You're not going to get your, your you know, gentleman sweep. You're not going to take us out in five games. We're going down with a fight because we've got a captain in Tyrese Halliburton, a great head coach in Rick Carlisle, and... Honestly, what he would consider one of the best big men in the league, Miles Turner. I think that's a great point because even last year, I mean, so many people came in not really thinking at all about this Pacers squad, but I'm telling you, the way they played against competition, they were not a team that you could just say, okay, we play them on Friday, on Thursday, we'll just chill out and do X, Y, or Z. You had to prepare to compete against this Pacers team. And even when they were not healthy with Halliburton, they still found ways to compete, even if it didn't always result in them, you know, eventually taking home that win. So this Pacers team had a bunch of poise. And I got to say, Matherin was just so impressive in terms of He's so young, but he's fearless. He's not afraid of anything. He thinks he's he's the best player when he's on the floor. And the way that he got to the rim and got to the free throw line as a rookie, I mean, you saw that confidence come together. So I have no idea about it that this offseason he's been locked in and dialed in in terms of trying to improve, you know, and maybe uh, carve a lane on this team as a starting player. But regardless, the way he would come in off the bench and just produce as the spark plug guy, the energy guy that gives a lot of energy to the roster, you just saw this team play with fresh energy on a night in and night out basis. And most young teams are like that for like half the season, but when they start to lose, their confidence gets a little shanky, right? But but not as Pacers team. They just competed every single night. So for this upcoming season, for me, a lot of people say, okay, the Magic got better. This team got better. This team got better. But no one seems to be talking about the Pacers in the East, who, in my opinion, have a great claim to make the play and potentially make the playoffs. Where are you in terms of the playoff seeding for this team in 2024? Yeah, so we did our our season predictions in terms of standings predictions, and I had the Pacers finishing eighth in the Eastern Conference. I, I think this is a team that... Last year, had they stayed healthy and maybe not looked to play some of the younger guys as much as they did to get them the experience, they probably won a few more games than people realized. And I think that the additions that they had, uh, Obi Top trading two second-round picks for him, that was huge. They ended up moving Chris Duarte to Sacramento to open up that roster spot to get that Obi Toppin trade done. They also bring in Bruce Brown on an awesome team-friendly deal once again 
they had the cap space. Bruce Brown was a highly coveted free agent, and he was going to get the full mid-level from a lot of different teams. But the Pacers said, okay, we'll give you about, I think it was around $42 million, something like that. I can't remember exactly. It might have been 45 but around $42, $45 million for two years. But the second year is a team option. And what's interesting is that first year, it, whatever, it's 21 22 $23 million, however much it is, that's more money than he's made in his entire career. So Bruce Brown, no idiot, he signs that deal. He wants to play with Tyrese because Tyrese, Obi Toppin, and, and um, Bruce Brown, Tyrese, and Obi Toppin, they think they were at the front in terms of transition points last year. And so like the top five, three of the top five in that area, and the Pacers like to play fast. So we'll see how the lineup shakes out. So you have those two additions in the offseason. You also, you know, drafted Jairus Walker out of uh, Houston, who is a very good defensive player, good playmaker, not the greatest shooter, but he's got great instincts. He's got a great feel for the game. I think Carlisle is going to really like him. And we'll see. He could be a starter next to Miles Turner. We don't know yet who Obi, uh, if Obi Toppin will start or if Jairus Walker will start. We had Pacers general manager Chad Buchanan on our podcast, and he basically said, because I asked him a couple different times, like, who do you think is going to start at this position? Who do you guys envision starting at that position? He said, look, the only two starters we have identified right now is our point guard, Tyrus Halliburton, and our center, Miles Turner. The other three positions are open at training camp, and we're not guaranteeing anybody a spot because we want these guys to earn it. So, same for Benedict Matherin. Like, this is a guy, like you said, had a great rookie season. He, he came in and put the pressure on people. I don't think I've seen a rookie, especially in the Pacers jersey, but really just from any guard perspective, get to the free throw line at that high of a clip. I know Paulo Boncaro did a great job of that as well last year, but you're just not used to seeing rookies do that. The one thing with Matherin that you do have to worry about, a couple things. Well, there's about three things that really I got to touch on here with Matherin. The three-point shooting was really nice to start off, but if you look at the monthly numbers, they dip every single month, and he starts taking fewer attempts each month. That's because he started losing confidence in that shot, and it just kind of became MIA, that three-point shot. I think that if he can get that reestablished, be an average 36 37% three-point uh, three shooter, that's going to open up his game quite a bit. The one thing that the front office has challenged him to do is to be not to not have tunnel vision, to, to be more of a playmaker. If you're driving to the basket, can you find the open guy in the corner when the defense adjusts and they, and right. they shift a little bit, right? That's one of the things that he struggled with last year. It's like he gets tunnel vision and he's looking to score, and that's the bottom line. And the other thing is defensively. If you watch him defensively, he gets hung up on screens a lot. His screen navigation is atrocious. He gets a ball watchy sometimes, and it's literally been like Carlisle pulling him out of the game. Like I said, Carlisle holds his guys accountable. So if Matherin, there was one play on offense, Matherin passed the ball and didn't cut, and Rick yelled at him from across the court to cut, and Matherin, like, half jogged to where he was supposed to go. He'll get yanked. Very next play, he got yanked. And he's like, you know what? You you're you have the confidence to be a great player. I mean, I, I've talked to some different people that say he's got Kobe-like confidence. You don't come out and say stuff about, you know, LeBron James is going to have to prove he's better than me if you're not confident. And I know he's kind of walked that back a little bit. He was just being dumb, didn't think it would take off like that. But anytime you mention LeBron James and you're a rookie, that's going to take off. So, it's just he's new to basketball to a certain degree. He didn't start playing until he was in high school. Got an interesting story. Uh, was with Canada and then actually moved down to Mexico before he went to college to play with the NBA Academy. Um, I think he lost his brother in a tragic uh, accident, too. Like That was his best friend. His brother probably would have been in the NBA, too. That was kind of the goal for them. So he's been through the ringer, up and down. He had to grow up quick. 
got a lot of confidence. Like he's a fun guy to root for, but he's just he's immature when it comes to his basketball skills and he's going to have to get better at that. And I think the Pacers taking that next step, it really depends on what he does. In my personal opinion, I think all the other pieces around him can step up and make that next step. But the the, the ceiling of this team, it's, it's right there with Halliburton and Matherin and how good they can become on the perimeter. I think that Nimhard could be thrown in that category as well. But I think if Matherin takes a major step back this year and has that sophomore slump, the Pacers probably are around the same win total that they had last year and really struggling to get the play in. But I think if he can solidify himself as a, a great piece moving forward for this young core with Halliburton, with Nimhard, with Miles, and then whoever wants to be the four, whether it's Obi Toppin or Jarris Walker, I think this team's in a good spot where they can say we kind of have an identity of who we are. I think you dropped a lot of gems there. The very first thing that popped out in my head was obviously the way the Pacers performed in the draft. I mean, getting Jarris Walker, I'm a big fan. Sure, offensively, you question like how good he can be. I, I still think in the short roll, he can be good. And honestly, as long as you have Tyrese Halliburton on the floor, the way that he's able to maximize players, I'm not too worried about that. But defensively, mm. in terms of his strength, size, and his IQ, understanding exactly where to be on the floor, I think from day one, he can fit in pretty solid and play rotational basketball and as long as he's not a complete offensive liability he'll be able to contribute to Pacers basketball from day one you know in my mind so I love this comment that nothing is confirmed outside of the point guard and the five because getting a team to compete like okay we want this spot I want to be the uh two or three or four like you got to actually prove it now so that perspective to me will reap a bunch of benefits, especially for an Obi Toppin who gets a chance to come over from the Knicks and create a new name for himself. You know, in Pacers land, obviously, his hops and his athleticism paired with Halliburton is going to be on many highlight reels for this upcoming season. So there's a lot of positive things to talk about with all of those guys. But to your point about Benedict, as good as he was, his tunnel vision sometimes was questionable and his confidence in it, his three-point shot to me did waver as the season progressed but I do believe that for a rookie player to be coming in and be in both six men of the year and, and rookie of the year conversations in the same season I believe yeah. in him and I believe more importantly in the work that he puts in to be impactful and like you said for a rookie player to come in and put that much work in in terms of being able to get to the free throw line and have the NBA refs respect in your first year, it speaks volumes to the type of scorer and player that he can be for years to come. Defensively, he has to put these things together because he had many plays where he would get caught off the ball sometimes, but he's young, right? Like these yeah. things happen to players that are coming in for this Pacers team. A part of your rebuild is the internal development of these players as they come through. And for a player that has a great, you know, first year, that sophomore season is really a barometer. Are you going to hit that wall and be worse or are you going to take another leap? There's many players that we've seen that have had massive leaps in their sophomore year. And Benedict has the profile to be one of those players as well. But I like this team, man. It's... um. It's harder for me to predict exactly where they're going to fall. Me personally, yeah. I've been fighting tooth and nail, right? So I'm higher on the Pacers than a lot of people, right? So it's come down to people think that it's really between the Pacers, uh, Orlando, and potentially the Hawks. Like those those three teams are, are like the biggest wild card teams in terms of like the five seed 
all the way down to like eight or nine potentially. And I just feel like the Pacers have a bit more continuity than a lot of those teams, which can really mm. aid them because people really don't value continuity. Denver just won the title and the entire team for years and years and years just had a game plan, you know, and things in place for them to have success. Halliburton in the way that this team played last year, bringing back a bunch of those pieces and then adding Bruce Brown, who just won a championship with Denver. I think he fits in perfectly to what the Pacers want to do, especially on both sides of the basketball. And he aids Tyrese Halliburton most because Tyrese is a quick player where he makes quick reads, snap reads. Bruce Brown can get up and down the court very, very quickly. So the pace of this team should be a lot better than last year in my mind, Alex. No, and I agree with that. I think one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast and I know other people have brought up, I want to give a shout out. I think it was Caitlin Cooper who brought this up. Um, if you know anything about Caitlin Cooper, she does a great job, has a blog called Basketball She Wrote, where she talks about uh, a blog about the Indiana Pacers playing basketball. So we have her on once a month. She's a great guest. And one of the things she brought up, Bruce Brown, if you look at his shooting numbers last year, he was like uh, out of this world. On the right, he's one of the, of the best court. shooters in the league, right? I agree with that. Yeah, but especially on the right side of the court. And if you look at Matherin, Matherin's shooting numbers very good on the left side of the court. Think the Pacers weren't paying attention to this? So now, if you put Matherin on the left side, where it's his dominant side because he likes to drive from the left to the right to the middle, uh, it's just more of a natural feel for him. He'll probably be able to be more efficient out there on the left side. And then if you have Bruce Brown on the right side. Well, now now you have that floor spacing that you need. And I, I think that those two could work really well together just because of those abilities. We know Bruce Brown can also be a ball handler, a playmaker, that kind of thing. I would be interested because we saw Bruce Brown play a lot of different roles with Brooklyn back when they had Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. Could he end up doing some weird stuff or maybe he's the screener in a pick and roll for Tyrese Halliburton? And, and now you have this guy that can do all this different stuff out of the pick and roll. Or maybe a guy like Isaiah Jackson can only go straight to the basket and catch a lob. That's about all he does. Miles Turner, um, he can do some different things, but he's not a great passer. Jalen Smith, probably the better passer of the three, but you know he's still kind of clunky in his overall game. And I, I like Jalen Smith. I think there's some potential there. But I think that Bruce Brown just offers you so much. And if a team's going to put a worse defender on Bruce Brown, you run that pick and roll, and now you get the switch that you want with Tyrese having a lesser defender on him. And it's not necessarily a big. So... I think there's a lot of different unique wrinkles we'll see here with Bruce Brown coming over. But like you said, that championship pedigree now that comes to this Pacers team, he just won it last year. Doesn't mean the Pacers are going to win a title because he was the sixth man. That's kind of what his role's always been. Uh, you know, maybe a starter level player, but he's on that fringe of like fifth starter, fourth starter, more of a sixth man on a really good team. So We'll see exactly where the Pacers fall. I personally think Atlanta's going to have a really good regular season. I think getting Quinn Snyder in there for the full season is going to be drastically different. Getting rid of John Collins might hurt their defense a little bit as much as everybody hates John Collins. I think that trying to fill that void a little bit, he just kind of knew what he was supposed to do. And then you look at Orlando, who I still don't think I have in the plan at this point. I think I have him around like 11. It's going to be interesting to see what happens because I think Toronto is kind of a wild card this year. Philadelphia, to me, is a little bit of a wild card as well because of the James Harden situation. Yep. How that, you know, uh, impacts the team and how that impacts Joel Embiid. Does he end up asking out because I think people are kind of waiting for that shoe to fall? So it, it's one of those tough spots to be in. I think the Knicks, 
were a little bit under the radar last year. Now they're on everybody's radar. They could fall back a little bit. I think Brooklyn, they're going to come and get a reality check because I don't love their roster. A lot of those wins came with the Durant and Kyrie's on their team. So I don't I don't know where they're going to finish at. So maybe Orlando could make a play-in game around the 9-10 spot. I, I don't see them as a top-8 team right now. It's just very talented here in the Eastern Conference. And then got to keep your eye on what Miami does with Damian Lillard. So there's just... There's so much going on. I, I think Cleveland's good. I think they made some really nice additions in the offseason. Boston, they made some weird additions that I didn't love, um, changing up their roster in some weird ways. And now there's some more rumblings that Malcolm Brogdon's unhappy, former Pacer. So it's it's going to be interesting. I think the Eastern Conference is wide open. The only thing you feel confident about saying is, what the heck is Washington going to be? They're going to be probably the worst team in the Eastern Conference. But even if you look at a team like Charlotte, they brought P.J. Washington back. Uh, Miles Bridges will be playing this year. However you feel about his off-the-court stuff, obviously there's a lot of issues there, red flags. But on court, he's got the talent. Let's see what he looks like after being there for a year. Uh, they, they draft Brandon Miller. I mean, this is a team that's – I mean, if this is the second-worst team in the Eastern Conference, like, there's still a team that could win on any given night uh, against that middle-of-the-pack Eastern Conference team. So just a lot of depth right now. And that's where we are with the current state of basketball right now. And that's why I'm such a huge NBA fan right now. Because it's like, there's so much versatility and talent all throughout the league. I love your point about Bruce Brown, how he's good on this side of the court. And then you have, you know, Matthew be good on this side of the floor. The way that you attack and bend a defense in the NBA nowadays is all about your spacing. But it's more about the positioning of where players are. So... That key detail actually matters a lot. And it does. Bruce Brown, like, I love what you said, too, because Bruce Brown on the Nets, people forget he was playing the four to, you know, small ball five in the playoffs against the Boston Celtics. And he was playing really good defense, shot 40% from three in that series. I'm pretty sure he shot nearly 50% on catch and shoot. Very high numbers out of both corners as well. He brings you that solid versatility, but... He knows what he's doing because he's a veteran player. He's had multiple years. He's been asked to play many different roles, and he just won a title playing, you know, that six-man role. So him coming over to me, even if you question, okay, how will he sustain if he plays like 30 minutes a game or more? I get that. But in terms of how he fits into a system, he can fit in. And having guys that can fit in and play many different types of roles and play defense that is the most translatable things towards the team that is trying to make the playoffs. And to me, that is exactly where the Pacers are. Sure, you're rebuilding, but you're trying to win and rebuild. That two combination is what they're really focused on. And I think they're putting themselves in a position to really be there, especially with, you know, as you said, the East is kind of a dumpster shoot. I mean, there's so many teams that we have questions of outside of like the top three or four teams in the conference. A lot of things can swing very rapidly especially for a Pacers team that again was literally at one point the number one seed but obviously like a, a top four caliber team when Halliburton was healthy so that check in terms of if he's able to play way more games this year with this newer roster of players how that shakes out we still don't know it's a lot to be determined and that's what makes this team fun because like you said they have versatility and it's not just with Bruce Brown they could play Jairus Walker at the five and go small. They could play Obi Toppin at the five and I go small. It. They could go They could go big, and if they really wanted to get weird, they could play Jairus at the three. Now, I don't necessarily encourage that, but I'm just saying they have that flexibility to be different. And they could – I think their best defensive lineup, if you look at it from an on-paper standpoint, you're looking at Miles at the five, Jairus at the four, Aaron Neesmith at the three, 
Bruce Brown at the two and Andrew Nimrod at the one. Like, that's a pretty good collection of defensive players that have good basketball IQ if you're trying to get one stop. Now, obviously, Tyrese is going to be out there to close games, and, and you're hoping that Benedict Matherin is going to be out there as well because you want to see him evolve into that player that he can become. But I just think that the flexibility that this roster has right now, it does give them a lot of potential. But at the same time, if you look at this team, aside from Tyrese Halliburton, they're still missing another player to really feel confident about this team taking a massive step, which that's why you heard their names, especially attached to a guy like Pascal Siakam. So I'm just going to say I'm not I'm not 100% sold that those conversations are done. I would say keep an eye on the Pacers and, and Pascal's availability. Come around the deadline if he's still on Toronto, because I think that a player like that in the front court could really help this team be competitive in the playoffs. It, it might not win you a championship right now, but if he signs a four to five year extension with this group, it, it you know it, it's kind of like when the Pacers brought in David West to a certain degree. You get that four position locked up, and obviously Jarris Walker. You're hoping he can become that, but. Even if you have Pascal for two to three years, Jarrett's to play underneath him and then take that spot eventually when Pascal uh, ends his contract, whatever that might be. That's just hypothetical thinking. But someone like that, it could be an OG and an OB2 from Toronto um, if he becomes available. Somebody like that to really help take this team talent-wise to another level. That's what they got to do. Because right now, their second best player is Miles Turner, in my opinion. I think that he's got the longevity to prove that. Maybe not the, the ceiling as high as the Benedict Matherin or maybe even an Andrew Nimhart, But still, I, I think it's pretty close right now. But I, I would say that Miles is easily the second best player. And this is no knock on Miles because I think Miles is a good player. But if he's your second best player and Tyrese is your first, how far is this team getting? It, it feels like second round, maybe third round at most. So it, they, they just really got to add another all-star because we know this league is driven on star talent. I got to say, Alex, the last thing I expected you to bring up was Pascal Siakam. But can you imagine Pascal in the front court, inverted pick and roll, small ball five here or there. Bruce Brown sliding at the four. Nimhard Halliburton backcourt with the. Oh, man. Like the offensive punch from that just sounds extremely significant, especially considering like how taxed Pascal was having to create everything in the half court, going to a newer situation where he wouldn't have to do as much. His point guard could actually shoot the ball at a very competent level overall and not, you know, chuck a whole bunch of shots and not be proficient inside the arc, which I do think Halliburton's scoring is getting way better on the interior from year to year to year. I think that's where his next evolution as a player is. But the versatility of those lineups, Pascal and Jarris defensively, even if Miles Turner is there or not, like that just sounds like a crazy type of, you know, pattern. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's it, a lot of versatility. It, it'd be a lot of fun. Now we'll see what that kind of trade would cost the Pacers. They have all their picks. That'd be huge for Toronto to get their picks. Now I'm sure they'd want young players involved too, but at the same point, he's an expiring contract. How much leverage do the Raptors really have with moving him? I mean, it's it's a tough spot to be in for both sides. So the Pacers have to kind of pay attention to this with what they offer and what they don't offer because you don't want to give up too much, especially unless you right. know Pascal will sign that long-term extension. But, yeah, I, I would just kind of wonder like what Andrew Nimhart's future is with the Pacers too just because I, I think you saw against, like you said, that Golden State game. If you saw that and you look at some of his other tape, and if you watch him this coming season, I guarantee you're like, okay, this guy could be a starter on a handful of teams in the league right now as their point guard. So is he going to embrace being a uh, 
Is he going to be uh, embraced being that that shooting guard long term next to Tyrese Halliburton, or is he going to end up being the the sixth man behind him? Like that's still to be determined, and I think that's what makes this all interesting and what makes this season really fun, especially training camp. And it's kind of crazy to think that we're only a few weeks away from the start of training camp. Yeah, man, this offseason has moved by so so fast, man. I mean, I've been doing this podcast basically since the beginning of the playoffs, and now it's like. It's only been 30 episodes, and we're already about to be in the heat of the season. So I like doing this, though, because for me, I'm able to learn a lot more about all these teams. And I promise you right now, Andrew Nimhard, OB Toppin, Bruce Brown, these are three specific players, including Matthew, of course, that I'm going to have my eyes on a lot for this upcoming season for Pacers basketball. I also am creating a spreadsheet. This is very high-level NBA nerd stuff, y'all. A spreadsheet where I will be tracking in how many games I watch. So when I comment about the Pacers half-court offense or the transition defense, and they ask me, Gifted, how many games did you watch? I, I'm going to be able to tell you. I watched 43 on the dot. I can let you know. <laughs> so I'm excited for that, man. Like, basketball is literally 37 days away, and I cannot wait. I really hmm. appreciate the insight and details that you gave me in terms of this Pacers team. Again, where they seed, I don't know, but... I think it's going to come down to if they're making the play or not, because if they make the play in, that comes down to single or double elimination games. I believe they absolutely will. But do they do they have a realistic chance to be a playoff lock in terms of like one through six? I got to ask you that question. What do you think? I mean, I think they got a chance. I'm not going to put them there. I mean, I think there's a lot of talent in the Eastern Conference. I mean, for them to make that jump from I think they were the 11th seed last year to all the way to six. I mean, it's not like it's not doable. We asked Miles Turner that same question, like what's his expectations for this team? And he said, I want to tell you guys top four, but I don't feel like that's, uh, didn't say it wasn't realistic. He said that he thought they could get there if everything played out right, but he doesn't want to put that much pressure on himself. So he said, I think we can be a top six seed. So I mean, the, the team feels like they can be top six. They were there before the Halliburton injury. So that's the little small sample size you get of feeling confident about that. But there's no doubt in my mind this is a top 10 team in the Eastern Conference. They will make the play-in this year. If they don't, that is significantly underwhelming, in my opinion, if they don't make the play-in. But I think that this team and these young guys, they really need to experience a seven-game series. Elimination play-in games are good, but I think a true seven-game series to see the chess match of coaches changing up schemes and stuff like that would be very beneficial for this young group. And to kind of feel what that pressure feels like, to be in meaningful games like that, They've yet to see that. I think Tyrese maybe playing with Team USA got a little taste of that. But Miles Turner, I think him and McConnell are the only two on the current roster. Maybe Daniel Tice as well, Aaron Eastman, because they're with Boston. But to, and now Bruce Brown to have that significant experience. But most of the young core, they don't know what it's like to really play in these games. I don't even think Aaron Eastman was playing for the Celtics in those games. He was on the roster, but not really getting that on-court experience. So that, to me, the bottom line is it's just get some of that experience and then Carlisle, a very experienced coach in seven-game series, I think he's going to have some very fun schemes and different things to make these series very competitive where the Pacers are forcing it to game six, game seven against maybe a seed that's a little bit higher than them. 100%. Playoff experience, there's nothing quite like it. Obviously, like a, a playing tournament where it's win or go home is great, but like a true seven-game series where your best assets, okay, you shoot the ball really well from the left corner, so we're going to 
hedge to take this uh, strength or skill set away from you? How do you respond? How do you counter? Those back and forths can really mold younger players into understanding basketball at the fundamental level way better because that's where you see the best defense um the best talent and also the best counters in terms of basketball so to me i 100 agree with you because the yeah. effort that these guys will get from that is huge but i know mm-hmm. that you are kind of strapped for time i appreciate having you on the podcast make sure to let the people know exactly where they can find you alex for everything pacers basketball related yeah just go to my twitter account and probably the best way i guess it's called x now but we still call it twitter we're not going to call it x because that's just dumb yeah but- no at at Alex Golden and then NBA. You can find me on Instagram too. I'm not really doing much there besides just posting pictures. But uh, yeah, for all the Pacers content, if you want to check us out throughout the year, go to Alex Golden NBA. And then on Twitter, also our podcast page is at Setting the Pace Three. Our podcast is called Setting the Pace. If you guys want to check that out and listen to some of our interviews, because that's what we're known for. Where we've had the the GM of the team on two times this off season. So. That was really cool to get his insight, you know, before the draft and then after the offseason kind of concluded. And then having Miles Turner on, Jordan Moore was on this summer as well. So if you guys want to check out those interviews, be on the lookout for that. Make sure to follow Alex. A lot of high basketball level content is there. I mean, again, five years of doing what he's been doing and even more in terms of watching the game. You got to respect that. Just make sure to tap in all of his links and all of those things will be in the description as well. Alex, I appreciate having you on this episode of the Get The Who's podcast. People, we got a lot more content in store when the season starts. We will be watching one game a day on stream for every day of the season. I cannot wait to see how these teams play basketball, especially your Indiana Pacers. But peace out, people. Have a good one. I'll catch you guys in the next episode of Gifted Hoops. Make sure to follow this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We're going to stay consistent with two podcasts a week. Appreciate y'all, and big shout-out to Alex. Have a good one, people.